0: No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code program.
1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 362.
2: As you look at the future of media, books are not simply about pieces of paper between two covers. They're about the conveyance of content. We need to find ways we can deliver value to the audience. We have to unpackage it and find other ways we can deliver value.
1: Networking, negotiating, communicating, leading, career planning, all skills critical to your success. But did anyone ever teach you these skills? Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and you found the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We're joined each week by an author to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. That's because I believe reading is the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. I believe in that so much so that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, we'll be joined by Mark Hirschberg and dive into his book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. I'll ask Mark to share about the types of questions we should be asking ourselves when beginning to outline our career plan, insights on leading where you are, including when you're not in charge, Topics like networking, negotiating, and effective communication, and lots more. Before I bring on Mark, I want to let you know that with regard to building that habit of intentional and consistent reading, I've written a book to help you do just that. In addition to that, the book breaks down how to make the most of what you're reading, as well as building a case for why you should be cultivating this habit in the first place if you're not already convinced. I'd appreciate it if you'd consider pre-ordering a copy of the book. You can do that right now when you go to to readtoleadpodcast.com slash book That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash book. The book, by the way, I guess I should tell you this part, is called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. And the release date, August 31st, will be here before you know it. Trust me. Mark Hirschberg has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia. And that work has included uh, tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web. I will not cross him. And creating uh, new authentication systems along the way. He's also helped start the undergraduate practice Opportunities Program at MIT, as known as MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually and he works with a number of nonprofits and is one of the top ranked ballroom dancers in the country. And if watching True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis all those years ago taught me anything, it was that you'll want to develop the skill of being able to dance and fight terrorism at the same time. Uh, So it's good to know that Mark uh, can do that quite well. His new book is called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Mark, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I really identified with your book's concept, with your book's premises. I dove right into it. And, and that's this idea that most of us kind of pick a profession, as I did, and I was guilty of. And that's kind of the extent of our, of our career planning. Uh, speak to your book's title. Why is it that no one is teaching us this stuff in school that's so important to understand and, and know and develop? Unfortunately, our educational system is very backwards looking. And
2: our primary and secondary school, which grew up over the last couple hundred years, was based on how to give people just the basic skills to fit into society. Reading, writing, arithmetic, that's what was focused on. And we've, we've added a little to that. Our university system, which goes back roughly about 900 years or so, was mm-hmm. really based around concentrated learning within a particular discipline. And so both of those are focused on you have a a specific set of skills, just broad basic skills for high school, or very deep skills within a discipline. And if you think about what we teach in college, we're teaching, okay, you're learning marketing, take a whole bunch of marketing classes. When you've taken X classes, you now qualify as a marketer. Well, We'll throw in some general requirements, but we know as the world has changed in the last 50, 100 years or so, we have a whole bunch of other skills. Right. We've all heard networking is really important. You have to build your network. Everyone keeps telling us it's important, but they don't teach it to us. <laughs> it's because the people running universities are focused on, do you understand the principles of marketing? Mm. Okay, you do. Great. We'll give
1: you a degree. It's not about, can you be effective in today's world? Mm. Well, uh, connected to that then, Mark, uh, what are some of the types of questions or maybe even specific questions that we should be asking ourselves when beginning to sit down and actually outline a, a, a plan for our career? there's no shortage of questions. I have
2: about 20 or so starting questions in the book Mm. that really starts with your life because your career is part of your life as a whole. Where do you want to be in life? Mm. What do you want in terms of your family? When do you want to have it? what type of lifestyle do you want? Now, also ask these questions, not just today, but how they might change in the future. I know lots of people who right out of school said, I want to be a consultant. I want to be hopping on the plane and flying to different cities. And it's a great lifestyle, right? You get fancy dinners, you're building up airline miles. But at 45, when you have a family at home, that's not such an exciting lifestyle. So understand when you're going down a path, what's the job, not just today, but what will that job look like in the future, that career in the future? It's hard to answer in the future. You don't have to have answers to all these questions, but start to answer the questions and then go out and talk to people. Talk to people in the industries that you're interested in, in the roles you might be interested in and ask them, what is a job really like? There's a classic example, lawyers. We all see lawyers on TV and we see the exciting courtroom drama if you ask a lawyer, that is not what happens. And so until you ask a lawyer, what is it really like day to day, you might have a false impression and you might go down a path you really
1: don't want to be on. Mm. Something that I identified with uh, as, I, as I read your book and something I had personal experience with is what are sometimes these hidden opportunities that are there that maybe aren't even posted within your company that, that maybe even the company itself doesn't realize. How, how can we explore those? Most of my career
2: has been creating these opportunities that don't necessarily exist. It's not simply applying to a job, but creating jobs, both inside an organization and outside. And really, the way to think about it is every job we have is because there's a problem. Someone says, I have a need. I need to get this website up. Okay, well, then I'm going to hire a software engineer to produce the website. I need someone to deal with all the invoices. Well, I'm going to go hire a bookkeeper right? Every job is a need. And if we go out and learn to listen to those needs, we can find opportunities. Now that could mean talking to people, hearing their needs and saying, you should hire me. You should create a role like this and I can do this. And now I've created a job for myself. Mm. Within the companies, now you have a job, but that doesn't mean you can't expand your capabilities. So early on, I was in a lot of startups. And one great thing about startups, they don't have rigid walls. They don't have, hey, (laughs) this is my job, that's yours, keep back. It's always, oh my God, there's more to do than we possibly can handle. And so I would just kind of poke around and hear, hey, can I help you out with that? Yeah, sure. If you've got time, great. So I did my job, but I participated in other activities and I built up my skill set and experience. And though it wasn't a job title change, when I went for future jobs, Now I could say, I know my title says this and I did this, but here's something else I've done and I could
1: talk about. And now I'm ready for expanded opportunities as I move forward in my career. Mm, Yeah. I I so identify with that uh, having uh, worked in the broadcast industry at the time when social media was starting to bubble up and we were all wondering how this was going to impact our industry or even our jobs or how we could leverage these tools to better connect with listeners. And I kind of made it my mission to kind of figure all that stuff out on behalf of the companies I work for. And, And those things I learned have served me so well now that I'm you know, I've been working for myself for seven or eight years and I apply all those things that I spent all that time learning and reading about and, and, and honing and just you know, trying things and failing and trying again and experimenting and that sort of thing. So I totally get that. So you've hit an important point there, which is that
2: we need to pay attention to our industries, not just where we want to be in 20 years, mm-hmm. but what are the trends in our industries? Where are they going? And understanding, will this job I have today be the same in 20 years? The answer is probably no. Mm-hmm. But understanding how it will be different and learning about what's happening in your industry, within your ecosystem, your suppliers, your partners, your vendors, your customers, as well as related industries, and then trying to predict. It's the famous uh, Gretzky quote of going to where the puck will be, not where it is today. Hmm. And we do that by doing this research and talking to other people and getting input on it.
1: Hmm. I-, I loved your insights on, on leading where you are regardless of of title. Uh, Why is that so important in your view, especially if you you want a leadership title or position in the future? This is one of the many skills that corporate America has told
2: MIT and other universities they wanna see in the people they hire, Mm -hmm. including right out of college. And unfortunately, so many people think of leadership as positional, as okay, it's the people with this title and above, and they get to decide what to do. But really, companies want people who are going to take initiative, who are going to stand up and say, hey, I see a solution and convince people we should go in this direction. That is true leadership. It's not authority that comes from your job. It is about standing up and taking initiative. And we've certainly heard every company say, yes, we want people to take initiative. Mm. So all of us need to learn to do that. And those who do not have that title need to recognize leadership. It's not some secret handshake you learn when you get a certain position. It is a mentality and a course of action that is valued in companies
1: at all levels. With regard to communication, effective communication, what have you learned about understanding how other people approach problems, the need to understand how other people approach problems when communicating?
2: We have
1: challenges. communication is a broad issue, but a lot of the challenges
2: I see are people are talking across each other. They're looking at a problem from different perspectives, and that's great, but then they're talking within the confines of their perspective. And unfortunately, people who don't share that perspective often don't follow it. We can think about, in a most basic sense, we think about left-brain and right-brain people. And when you look at a problem, left-brain people approach it a certain way, and right-brain people approach it a different way. You can take this concept and get to more complex models. And I break down a number of different ways to do that based on our experiences, based on our mental preferences, based on our understanding, based on where we are in the company. There's lots of ways to look at this. But once you recognize that we all come from these different perspectives, you're one step closer to now, how do we overcome it? You can think of this as if I went to a foreign country. If I go to to France and I am going to do a presentation in English what I'm doing is I'm asking everyone in the audience to do a little extra mental taxation because they have to translate everything I'm saying into French. And only then can they begin to understand what I'm saying. And so that detracts from their ability to focus on the message. If, however, I can step closer to them, if I can give the presentation in French, that's less they have to focus on the communication process and more on the method. And so all of us sit in our own domains in our own language it's not necessarily french versus english but once you recognize we have these different domains as you can step closer to the domain of the person to whom you're speaking to whom you're communicating you're making it that much easier for them to
1: understand the message you're conveying well i took two years of french in school but i'm not sure i could give a presentation in french (laughs) sadly sometimes we can't and i'll have to rely
2: on them speaking english because french just isn't my domain either
1: (laughs) Well, the last year, of course, obviously has been one of of disruption for for many industries, uh, forcing a lot of people to get out and, quote, network in in the traditional sense. Again, maybe when they haven't thought about doing that uh, for a while, I think really we're networking all the time, whether we call it that or not. But what are some of your tips from the book for effective networking that, that you've learned? Fundamentally, we need to think of
2: networking as relationship building. Too many people get this wrong they think of it as going out, collecting business cards, right? We all have that image of the person who works the room. Like, oh, I got 20 business cards. <laughs> or, you know, I've added so many connections on LinkedIn. I always think of it saying saying someone who you're connected to on LinkedIn is in your network. That's like saying someone who swipe right on you on Tinder is now your <laughs> significant other. <laughs> right? It's just like, oh, click, boom, done. <laughs> but just like on Tinder, we know if you swipe right, that's the first step of a long process. Then yes, you actually have to get to know the person right? You spend time together. The same is true for our LinkedIn connections. It's not just connecting, it's building that relationship. And so we need to focus on how we build that relationship. And that begins with getting to know the other person, know what's important to them, understanding their needs, and going in with a mentality of give before you get. Mm -hmm. Don't just think Okay. Hey, I need a job. So let me go. And hey, you, nice to meet you. I'm Mark. Can you hire me? No. Okay. Next person. Oh, let me go talk to her. Right. And that's this needing and taking mentality. But when we go in of, hi, Jeff, nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. And in that conversation, I hear your needs. I hear your challenges. I think, what can I do to help Jeff? That's going to foster that relationship. And now at this time, we think, okay, well, this is really hard because we're in COVID. People can't go outside. You can't meet people as easily. But in fact, meeting people, that was step one, right? Step mm. 2 to 99 was building this relationship. And this is where there is a silver lining to COVID. Now, as horrible as it is, as much as we wish it didn't happen, we have a few opportunities. The first is we have more free time. And I know it's stressful. We're at home. We're, we're raising kids. But think about your morning commute. You can take what was your morning commute and say, I'm going to do morning coffee, Once a week, instead of being on the commute, I'm going to reach out to someone and say, Jeff, you know, it's been probably a year since we last spoke. Hey, Mm -hmm. how about we do virtual coffee? I'm doing it every Wednesday. Let me know a Wednesday that works for you. And so I can reach out and reconnect. The other part of the silver lining is that our networking tends to be local, right? When we meet for coffee, we tend to have to be in the same city to Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. But now we don't. And whereas a year ago, if I had said, hey, you know, person, friend of mine in London, Let's hop on a video call to catch up. They would have said, first, what's a video call? What's this Zoom thing?" And then I, I don't know. You know, there's a there's a happy hour tonight. I'd rather do that, right? But now we can do that. Now we can reach out to people we're not going to see during normal times, and we can work on those relationships, which is otherwise hard to do. So as as much as there are limitations in COVID, there are some opportunities as well for our networking.
1: I love that sort of silver lining type thinking. I tend to be the kind of person, uh, even before COVID, you know, working from home, I'm kind of in my own little world and I don't really think much uh, beyond local people I might meet with face-to-face. Like you said, I don't really think about, well, why don't I reach out to folks that I can meet with virtually on a regular basis? And that's just not something I think to do. And that's that's something I'm going to start doing right away. I think that's a great idea. I have to kind of come out of my shell a little bit to, to be intentional about that. Um, what do you, I'm going to speak to negotiation being a skill that, uh, throughout our careers, we're going to need to, to hone. What, what do you mean when you say negotiators should focus on, on interests and not uh, positions? I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit in your last answer, but, but what does that mean ultimately interests versus positions? When inexperienced negotiators come to the table,
2: they, Talk about, well, this is what I want. Here's the position. You need to produce so many widgets. You need to give me this much money. You need to take this action, right? And we talk about actions.
1: Mm.
2: Now, if the other side says, yeah, I'm happy to do that, fantastic. But it might be difficult for the other side to come up with that much money or take that action or produce those goods. But in the end, it's not that you necessarily care about those things. You don't necessarily care about having 100 widgets in your, um, in your warehouse next week, what you care about is being able to deliver those widgets to your customers. right? That is your interest. right? That's the goal you're trying to meet. Maybe it turns out you're only going to sell 50 next week and 50 the following. And in fact, as long as you get just in time for your customer, that's good enough. right? Mm-hmm. What is the end goal you are trying to solve? Because when people say, do this or don't do this, when we look at the Middle East, for example, And this, of course, is one of the biggest, hearest ongoing negotiations. Mm. The goal is peace, right? The goal isn't we're going to have so many soldiers here. We're going to have this type of monitoring, this type of fence, this type of border. Mm. The goal is peace. And so if you get bogged down into, you know, should the border be here or there, or we need a wall, or we need to do this, or you need to Mm. make this concession, we're focused on the, on the position for the ultimate interest in peace. Now, maybe that position is key for it. And certain things like you will not attack other people. Okay, that's part and parcel to peace. But other behaviors may or may not be a direct line to peace. And we might be able to get rid of this particular position of you have to do this. If you're doing something else, furthers our ultimate
1: interest of peace. Great advice. How can we begin it sounds kind of silly. How can we begin to prepare to think about ethics? Every company says ethics are important, but they don't talk about it.
2: Mm. Right? And here's the interesting thing. We all know companies, you know, they, they have programs where they say, yes, we're really committed to this. And then programs where you just give it lip service. And ethics, unfortunately, falls that way. Everyone talks about profits. You talk about profits in every single management meeting, right? What's this doing to our bottom line? How are we selling more? Profits are important, and yes, focus on it. But if ethics are also important, why is it you probably haven't mentioned it even once in the past year? Mm -hmm. So when we want to think about ethics, we first just need to start talking about it. And ethics is something that it's not not like you know, oh, we're going to have an ethical dilemma next Tuesday, (laughs) so let's plan for it today, right? So you've got to kind of keep it top of mind, And ethics is something else. When we get into these tricky situations, we're not prepared for it. So I draw the analogy to the fire drills we did as a kid. Now, Mm -hmm. I've been buildings where the fire alarm has gone off. I've never been in this building before, but I'm not panicking. The other people aren't panicking because we all know, okay, fire alarm, don't run, don't push people out of the way, walk calmly to the stairs. We know what to do, Mm -hmm. even if we've never seen this particular building fire before, but we have an approach to it. And we have to do the same thing with our ethics. We have to say, let's have a framework. Let's have an approach. When we see a situation, when we hear that alarm go off, we know not exactly what to do in the situation, but we know the process for how we're going to figure out what to do without causing ethics violations. And so that takes some fire drills. That takes some practice. But we as a company can do it. By just even as simply as once a quarter, having a conversation, bringing
1: up issues and talking about, hey, here's an example of what we should do when we see this type of situation. Mm. It's like everything else you've been talking about, being intentional about it in the first place before the moment arises. Sort of beginning with the end in mind, I guess, having, having a plan. Um, I've got a couple of questions, Mark, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book, if I may. Uh, but before I do that, I want to give you a chance to share anything else from the book you'd like to that maybe I haven't asked about or, or didn't, didn't cover. When we look at the skills that we've been talking about today, the ones covered
2: in the book, we need to change our approach to training them. We have traditionally taught and upskilled people through a lecture model, right? We, this is how it worked in college. Mm. You had some expert to convey information. That's what we're doing on this show. We're having a discussion, and people are listening. It's unidirectional. Books are the same thing. Blog posts are the same thing, mm. and that's certainly helpful. But it works best for knowledge. It works best for, hey, we're rolling out a new accounting system. We want to teach you all how to enter your expense reports. Okay, so first, you're just going to hand me this knowledge, go, okay, I got it. Second, you're doing it in a just in time basis, right? Okay, we're rolling it out next week. So that's why you're teaching me this week. And great, I'll know when to apply it. When we look at leadership, negotiation, networking, teamwork, all these skills, they're different. There is no, here are the three steps and you're a leader, right? It's not that simple. There's no, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to need to communicate effectively next Tuesday at 3 p.m., right? So, prepare for that. We'll teach you Monday. You do it Tuesday. (laughs) So, we have to approach this differently. Now, thankfully, there is a model for how we do this. It's how we teach this at MIT, and it's how business schools have taught it for years. It's a peer learning model because when you're looking at these situations from leadership to ethics, even around career planning, there's no one right approach And so you want to get different perspectives. You want to have different people say, well, here's how I think about it. And it's combining these perspectives that causes us to have a richer understanding and a better approach when we see situations. By doing it regularly, not the one and done. Okay, you had the training last Friday, check the box, boom, you're a leader now. But by having these discussions on a more regular basis, right? Having say a monthly peer learning group, then they stay top of mind and you're going to be more aware of when these opportunities come up for negotiations, for communications, for dealing with ethical situations. You're going to be more aware, and that's going to help you both to apply the skills as well as to find ways to continue your own understanding and advancement. So we need to change our business model of education within our corporate workplace. And I'd actually say there's some other changes for education as a whole, but change for these skills from a broadcast model from a unidirectional, I'm going to tell you the answers. To let's discuss it and enrich our understanding, so we're better when we discover these opportunities, which
1: really come up on a weekly, even daily basis in some cases. In part, it's the freedom to experiment, right? And and know that you're not always going to end up with the right answer, and it's not always going to work. And but you can go back and try again. School drills in us to, uh, you know, here's the right answer, here's the wrong answer. That's not life. <laughs> Exactly. School also says, here's
2: everything you need to know for the test or homework assignment just in time, right? So I know, okay, use the formula I learned this past week. That's not how life works. So we have to be kind of regularly training this, right? Just like we do with our with our muscles, right? You go to the gym regularly to keep your muscles in shape. If you want to keep these skills in shape, take them to your mental gym, take them to this peer
1: learning group that is the gym for these skills. Well, you mentioned what's a part of this process. One of the steps in this process of of the the learning gym does start with reading. It doesn't end there, but it begins there. Give us a bit of insight into your history with reading and with books and the impact an intentional and consistent practice of reading has had on your life and on your success, if it indeed has. Absolutely. I have read scores of books, hundreds of books,
2: Uh, that really helped advance my skills and understanding. In my book, The Career Toolkit, I reference a number of other books because I said, look, I didn't come up with this idea. It came from this book. If you want to learn more about it, here's where to go. I reference some research papers as well as books. Uh, And on the website, I list every book I reference, as well as even books I didn't reference, but that were influential Mm. and that helped me develop my skill set directly or indirectly. I would say two of the biggest that had an impact on me, the first is PeopleWare by Tom DeMarco and Timothy Lister. It is nominally a software book. It's really a management book. There's no code in it. it software is just kind of software projects are the medium. But the, the fundamental thesis of the book is most software projects fail, but they don't fail because of technical reasons. It's not, oh, if we only had someone smarter or deeper understanding they fail because of people issues, Mm. because you have miscommunications, because you have misaligned goals, because you have interpersonal conflicts. And if you talk to anyone in technology, I'm a CTO. If you talk to any CTO, anyone in technology, we tell you, yes, this is a problem. Rarely do you need that PhD, but you really need to deal with people issues and getting this to work. And I'd say the, the other key book that really kind of impacted me was The Charisma Myth by Olivia Fox Caban. Mm. And now charisma, we typically think about charisma as, well, you either have it or you don't. Right? you look, like, oh, George Clooney, right? Oh, so charismatic. I can never be like him. <laughs> but in fact, charisma is a skill you can learn. It is learnable, just like golf or mm. economics. You can learn it Now, you have to practice it, right? Just like golf, you can't read a book and say, okay, I know how to play golf, right? You have to put this into practice. And that was helpful because it made me understand the other skills I talk about in this book, leadership skills, networking skills, teamwork, communication skills, they're also learnable. They're not simply, well, some people are natural leaders and others were just out of luck. Yes, some people are natural leaders, just as some are natural golf players, but well, it doesn't mean the rest of us can't, with practice and training, learn to get better. And so I think both those books really expanded my understanding in terms of how to think about these situations. And it's not, it's not simply, oh, I learned a new technique, but I fundamentally shifted recognizing the types of problems and how these problems could be addressed.
1: A side note, uh, you mentioned being a CTO, my brother's a former CTO for Angie's List. He's now a CEO for a company called Docket. I don't know if you've heard of Docket before, not a relatively young company, about a year old, but uh, you, you spend some time in your book talking about making the most of meetings and agendas and identifying what kind of meeting it, it is. His company, Docket, is is all about helping companies do exactly that. So I just throw that out there as an aside. If, if you haven't checked out DocketHQ.com, when it comes to making the most of your meetings are are worth checking out.
2: And, you know, meetings, this is a great example. It's a small thing. We all go to meetings. Mm -hmm. We have all at some point said, oh my God, this meeting is a waste of time. And yet no one does anything about it. And so whether you use a tool like Docket or whether you use a framework like in my book Mm -hmm. or a different approach, if we start to just consciously think about our meetings and say, let's let's go meta for a second. Let's look at these meetings. Why are we having them? What is working? What is not? And if you can make your meetings five you percent know, more effective or five percent shorter in time, that's not a huge lift, right? That's not, not changing the world. But imagine if all your meetings were five percent shorter, what does that add up to over the year? And so we need to look whether it's something as simple as a meeting or some of these other skills, if we can just make these small changes and small improvements we can get a massive ROI across our organization over the course of a year.
1: Well, Mark, you referenced your your website earlier, but I don't think you gave the URL. Feel free to share that as well as as you look ahead to the rest of this year. You know, what's around the corner? What's next that you and your team are excited about that goes beyond getting the word out about your book? The URL to my website is thecareertoolkitbook.com. And if you go on that website,
2: you can learn more about the book. You can follow me on social media or reach out through the contact form. But there's also a number of other tools. Now, there's an app for the book. One thing I found when reading books like this, I'm sure many of the books that you've, uh, you've featured on your show, you read the book, you say, okay, this is a great idea. And three weeks later, well, you're on to the next book or something else. And it's a vague memory. Mm. So from having taught this for many years and having a background education, I looked at what are ways we can make this more effective. Space repetition is, of course, the the well-established mechanism. That's a fancy name for flashcards, but no one's going to make flashcards for a book. What I've done with this app, free to download, doesn't take any data, just put on your phone. It's going to pop up each day one of the insights or tips or action items from the book. Think of it like a daily affirmation, but it's the tips from the book. Mm. And this way you say, oh, right, okay, I remember, we should do this. Chapter six talked about this. You swipe it away, it took three seconds, and it helps reinforce it. And this comes from both, I think it's going to help you learn, but I've worked in media before. And as you look at the future of media, books are not simply about pieces of paper between two covers. They're about the conveyance of content, mm-hmm. right? Certainly, we see this with ebooks. Ebooks are not between two covers. We in the publishing community, I say this you know, as a very, very large authors and publishers and everyone. We need to find ways we can deliver value to the audience. Now that has traditionally been through printed paper and I'm sure it will exist for a while. I still like physical books, Mm -hmm. but we have to unpackage it and find other ways we can deliver value. So I think this app that I built, I think this is going to be something we're going to see more of. So how we can take this content and deliver it and create the value from the book outside of the pages. So the app is available on the website. There's also other resources. I mentioned the resources page where I list the other books I've had. I also have some free downloads, such as how you can create this peer learning organization within your company or organization, or if you're a small one, how you can create a meetup group or other type of group Mm. to create this peer learning and continue your own progress or that of your peers on your professional journey.
1: Well, as a guy who has a his own book coming out in about six months, uh, you've piqued my curiosity <laughs> this whole app thing. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I was surprised
2: it didn't exist. I went out, I just said, okay, I'm going to license this. And I was shocked. It did not exist at all. I, I looked far and wide. Uh, so I wound up, thankfully, I'm a CTO, so I know how to do this stuff. So I wound up patenting the concept and creating a white label version of it that can be used for for different books and even for, beyond books, educational training and other types of content that we want people to to learn that's going to take
1: more than just a one-off. You heard it once, so now you know it. Well, I'll be checking into that after this conversation. <laughs> well, again, uh, Mark's book is called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Again, his name is Mark Hirschberg. Mark, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the show today. I really appreciate you being here and, and giving of your time so generously. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you're not at a place where you can write down Mark's website or you forget it later, remember you can always go to the show notes page created for today's episode. And that's always readtoleadpodcast.com slash and then the three-digit episode number, in this case, 362. So readtoleadpodcast.com slash 362. There you'll find links to Mark's website and how to connect with him on social media, as well as links to the books and other resources we talked about. I want to let you know that next week on the show, I welcome a very special guest. In fact, he first appeared on the show way, way back in episode three. This is his first time back since then. His name is John Lee Dumas, and he's written a brand new book called The Common Path to Uncommon Success that I think you're going to love. The book comes out next week, but is available for pre-order right now if you want to get the jump and get a lot of bonuses in the process. It's UncommonSuccessBook.com for more. And in the coming weeks, we'll be welcoming Michael Hyatt & Company's Megan Hyatt Miller, the new CEO there at Michael Hyatt & Company, and John Acuff, who will be making his fourth appearance on the Read to Lead podcast. I think I said a few weeks ago it was going to be his fifth. It's actually his fourth. I got my numbers wrong, but looking forward to having John back to talk about his new book coming out soon called Soundtracks. So glad you could join me today. That's all for now. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, as always, leaders read and readers lead.